0: Oh, good. Praise the Lord. Well, I'm excited uh, about this tonight. Um, I don't think, and I'm trying to remember, I've been a a lead pastor now. um, Boy, uh, 22 years uh, as a lead pastor and before that. And I don't think that I have ever taught verse by verse through the book of Acts. Uh, Maybe I did back in uh, Kansas when we were there. Seems like maybe I did, but I've... uh, I've switched computers a couple of times and I didn't have any any notes so this is all all brand new. Here we go. New stuff. None of that warmed over stuff, you know? You get the get the get the good stuff. Let me give you a little bit of history here uh as we begin because there's a couple of uh interesting pieces here and th- these aren't meant to be trick questions, but I do want to begin with questions as we think about this. And I've asked you this one before. Um and um, I think most people have this straight, but I, I can't say as I did uh, when I first started thinking about the Scriptures. Um, We—almost all theologians believe that this book was written by Luke. Now, something that you need to understand is that nowhere in either his gospel or in this book does the author name himself. He doesn't say, you know, I, Luke, wrote this book. That's it, not, uh, not in there. But it, is, uh, it seems pretty clear uh, from the different way that the language is and the different places that he says he is and things like that. And almost all uh, theologians would credit this book to Luke with the Gospel of Luke. Now, so here's the question. Um, I've asked it before, so don't, don't just blurt it out. Um, was Luke one of the 12 disciples? Everybody shake your head no, right? Now, this next one uh, is perhaps a little, more, um, a little more tricky than what you might think, even though we've talked about it. I want to talk about it a little more. Was Luke Jewish? See now some of you are like, well, I don't know. Uh, the, the traditional thought is that no, Luke wasn't Jewish, but there are a fair number of theologians that believe that he was. Or that at least, even though he may not have had a Jewish lineage, he was a, uh, he was a proselyte. He was, he had been one. He had become Jewish. He had, he had been something else and then he had uh, taken on the Jewish faith as his own. And the reason that they say that is because Luke exhibits, certainly in his gospel, a lot of Old Testament knowledge. He speaks to a lot of things in his gospel that seem to give an indication that he's been well-versed in the Old Testament law, in, in, the, in the law. They didn't, call it, he, they didn't call it the Old Testament, yeah, and they still don't. But in, in, uh, in, in the Jewish law, Luke was very knowledgeable. So uh, here's another one for you. Was he or was he not a physician? Uh, was, was he a doctor? Um, Almost everybody believes that he was, primarily because Colossians says that he was. Um, and so we believe him to be an educated uh, doctor, perhaps Jewish convert, who, um, who wrote um, the book of Luke and the book of Acts. Here's another one for you. Uh, was he an eyewitness of the things of Christ? Oh, now you're done torment so Now you're now you're going to the fastball, aren't you? Now you're now you're now you're getting to the to a little more obscure. Marion's shaking her head no. Some of you are kind of kind of doing that, kind of covering your bases a little bit. And it's unusual for John to just sit there stone faced because he's usually got a pretty good opinion, but he's not he's not giving away anything on this. Was he a 1st firsthand uh, recorder of the of the ministry of Jesus? About 50-50 on the different writings as to whether or not Luke was a eyewitness to the things of Jesus. Um, So a pretty interesting individual. Uh, Most, I would say, I said 50-50, I I would say it's probably a little more slanted towards the side that he wasn't a eyewitness eyewitness account of the ministry of Jesus, but rather—and this gets into a, a piece of, uh, of theology and a, um, a, little, um, a little piece of, of how the Scriptures came to be that—I uh, don't, I don't know that I'm unique in this, my position, even though it's not uh, simplistic, it might seem a little uh, elementary— uh, but it's not, all right? And, and let me let me tell you what I mean. Is it necessary for a person to have been an eyewitness of the ministry of Jesus for them to write about it? Now, I'm not asking you a natural question. I'm asking you a supernatural question. I'm not saying, did Luke just hear other people talk about it and write it down? That's not the question I ask you. Is it necessary? Could, watch this, could Nikki have been... This Nikki right here, could she be used to write a gospel? Well, in, in, the, in the sense that the canon is closed, the canon, the group of scriptures is closed. No, but um, Paul writes in extensively, uh, not so much in a narrative recording of events, but Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives i mean book after book of revelation word from god and he's not writing about events that he saw does everybody understand what i mean um and there are those however and and this is where my position seems a little elementary to some i don't think it's elementary at all in fact i think it takes a lot more than what those who would suggest that that there was a a document that others—there th- is, and, and I'm not trying to muddy your theology, but I want you to understand some of the stuff that's out there. There is a whole train of thought in how the Scriptures came to be that that attributes uh, much of the New Testament to—excuse me, the Gospels—to a document that they call the Q, the Q document. Uh, why they use that letter, I'm sure there's some rationale behind it. And they say that Mark is the oldest gospel um, that we have a that we have a uh, that we have a copy of, but that perhaps there was another gospel that they called the Q, and that it circulated, and that all of the gospel writers saw it, and they borrowed from it in the writing of their gospels. Now, what does that suggest to you? Anybody? What does it remove? What? Yeah, the, the inspiration that, that people were only recording events that they had heard of, and it wasn't some sort of divinely inspired. We believe in the, in the verbal plenary inspiration that God spoke, moved upon these men who then wrote what the Holy Spirit inspired them to write. Some people bring to question, okay, why is there variations then? And, you know, one, like, I mean, there are different stories where, uh, you know, different perspectives are portrayed. I, I think all of that has some really good answers. I don't want to get too much into that. But the fact that Luke wasn't a firsthand witness of the—or was a firsthand witness, eyewitness of the ministry of Jesus in no way, to me, diminishes his ability to be used of God to write an inspired book. Amen? It's only when you naturalize it. It's only when you naturalize the Scriptures and remove the inspiration. Now, people that practice form criticism of the Scriptures, in other words, where they want there to always be a traceable path by which this information came to this author, and he had to be there, and he had to he had to see it, and that made, you know, validity and they, they start using the historical critical method where they, where they begin to strip out the supernatural and anything that couldn't be explained by scientific means. All of this happened during the Enlightenment and during the many years ago. Um, I just believe that you can't look at the Scriptures like you look at a history book. For that reason, some say the Scriptures aren't a, 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 an accurate history. I don't think the Bible is required to fit into the form that other pieces of literature fits into. I don't know any other book that says this is inspired by God. This is this is the Lord talking. And so I just want you to see that, that there are those that if you read different things about how the Bible came to be, you're going to feel a lot of, at least a lot of confusion in some of that because they try to make it just a history book that has to fit in like every other history book. Mickey? in that culture they used other documents to fill in the blanks and the Let me repeat that. Nikki said wasn't it, wasn't it common in that period of history for them to use other documents to fill in the pieces. Nikki there's a couple of things that that, that you're that, that I need to say just so you understand. First of all, that these that these scriptures were not um, for instance, even the Gospels, nobody was sitting with quill and parchment in hand. Okay, Jesus is approaching the crowd from left to right. He is wearing a dark brown tunic with a—they th- th- didn't do it that way, all right? That almost all of these were written a generation behind the events. So so no one is there inscribing the events literally like, like they're doing a you know it's okay Jesus is approaching the putt it's a par 5 it's got four, you know it's so it's you know the way golf commentators always always whispering like the guys you know you know <laughs> Jesus is reaching out his hand he's putting it on the blind man he he has spit into the dirt he you know I mean you could make a pretty good skit out of that couldn't you if you wanted to That's not the way, and it's not the time frame. So when you say, did they have manuscripts that they used? I think we have to remember that these events were recorded, most of them, the earliest of them, in in some instances, 40, 50 years after the time of Jesus, where these men, most of them moving towards the end of their life, were inspired by God to record the things that that the Holy Spirit wanted them to write. So did they borrow from other manuscripts? Nikki, I have no, no way to know that. There are those that believe they did. I don't, I don't, I don't see that as a necessity. If the Holy Spirit inspires you, I know what you're saying, and and I'm not saying it didn't, but I, I, well, Mark is most of the time considered to be the oldest of the Gospels, and, and then there, there are whole books that take, and they use these, uh, Uh, Sort of like a flow chart. This one has this piece, and it has this piece, and this piece. But there's this, and I've even read, there's a percentage. There's this much in the book of whatever that's not anywhere else. And therefore, that must, and guys, I'm just not locked into that because we're talking about divinely inspired books. And those that would require that everything be substantiated by being written about in some other gospel or in some other place or verified. I, I just don't find that a necessity because this is God talking. He can say to one guy whatever he wants and say something. Now, he's not going to contradict but uh, the, the reason that this is unique is that that the book of if we talk about Luke and Acts being together and I think it's rightly I think it's right that we should that n- none of the other Gospels has a sequel. Uh, it's not a, there's not a, you know, part two except for the book of Luke. Uh, L- the book of Luke is the longest of the Gospels. Uh, not too bad for a guy that didn't see any of it firsthand, you know, <laughs> and uh, has more stories and more stuff. Pat? Well, in Luke, the first, first verse says that he investigated other people have done mm-hmm. Precisely what had what happened. Yeah, yeah. It, it's kind of, Carol, go ahead. Um, is Luke, I mean, is John not a synoptic gospel because he includes more incidents? Than really interesting question. Now, did everybody hear Carol's question? When, you, when, you, when, when the word synoptic gospel is used, John's always left out. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptics. And then John, and I always felt like poor John got left out of the club he didn 't get the um, carol i, I have uh, I have read that, and I have read that explanation, but i right now it 's a blank I'm, i don 't want to make up something that wouldn 't be accurate i 'll look it up and get back to you as to why it was left out. I have read it more than once, but it has been more than a day or two since I did so 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 let me come back and uh, i don't don 't want to make up a halfway answer um, I'm trying to think of anything else that uh, that I want to give you about the book of Acts, I think for most of us when we think about the book of Acts, we think about Pentecost, we think about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I think if I were to ask you what the central theme of the book of Acts is, uh, and, and let me just tell you right now, don't say Pentecost. <laughs> I just want to, because that's not it. All right. What would you, what would you, what would you say that it is? There's a couple of really good answers, and any of them could be. What do you think? Birth of the church. Birth of the church—that'd be a great one. Pat, you were you were saying the church. Anybody else? That's certainly true. Um, I, let me suggest another one, and it may seem so broad as to be without any real particular passion in it, or. or I don't know, it it, it may seem God, you know, well, well, yeah, but the Bible is all about God. Yeah, but but we're going to see some things of His heart. There's going to be some things that are going to be revealed uh, that you and I know, but they certainly didn't know in the day that these events were happening. Um, the, 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 the heart of God, the plan of God, the, the full revelation of His desire for mankind. Um, lots of nationalistic things are going to get broken down. This is only a Jewish thing up until the time of the book of Acts. Um, there's, a, there's just a lot of stuff here where we begin to really understand what it is that the Lord wanted to accomplish and, and the links that He would go to in order to accomplish it kinds of people that he would use i mean there's a pretty good collection of uh characters in the book of acts um the spreading of the church the the first journeys where the gospel began to go beyond israel and and really jerusalem and and judea and the sending of missionaries occurs first in the book of acts the the different things that are done so that the church is cared for when people are in need. I mean, there's all kinds of really neat stuff in the book of Acts. And uh, now, what I want to do as we begin tonight uh, in order to—and uh, I said we'd do this. I want you to go back to the book of Luke, and I want to look at just the last—I don't want to look at a whole bunch of, of it, because I—but I do want you to go back to uh, the last chapter of the book of Luke, because I think there's a, a continuation. Now— the, there's a expansion, if you will, of this story. All right? The uh, I want to begin in verse 36 of Luke chapter 24. Luke 24. We'll read these last few verses. We won't comment a lot, but a little bit. And then go right over to the first chapter of the book of Acts. Um, this is... And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, these are my words. Now, let me ask you this for a second. Why do you think Jesus asked for the fish? Why do you think he asked him for something to eat, John? Yeah, he wanted to show them that he was real. He wasn't a spirit. That he wasn't just a, you know, more, you know, something from some other world. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Verse 45 is a very interesting verse. Now listen to this. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Um. Did he wave his hand? Did he, did he, I mean, he snap his fingers? Um, I want you to think about, I want you to, I want to dwell on that verse just for a second. And I mean, goodness gracious, there's there's just a lot written about verse 45. But I want you to think about what it means for you to have the knowledge that you have about who God is. And... if you have grown up in this and I look around the room and a lot of you have how easily you accepted that people that loved you and trust that you trusted told you the things of God and you believed them and you sit here in faith heaven bound with the assurance of faith unafraid of things that other people are terrified of And you have never even given a thought, and forgive the colloquialism, but you accepted Jesus as easy as a turtle turtle falls off a log. You just rolled off, and you were in the body of Christ, and it's just been the easiest thing ever. You may have had some crises of faith in your life. You may have had some questions, but you've never really seriously questioned whether or not you were going to serve the Lord. Anybody like that? Say amen. You need to get up every day and thank the Lord, because... Here is a moment where men, in this case men and women, have been so steeped in a religious system and that even though they have heard all about who Messiah would be and Jesus, watch this, this is the Jesus talking to them that told him, that told them, tear down this temple and three days later I'll, it'll, it'll, he's told them he's going to come back and yet when he does they think he's a ghost, all right? And I don't know exactly what happens here, but there was a moment where Jesus prays or He does something. I think He's now operating in a divinity that He had put aside, and now He has put it back on, and He opens their minds to understand the Scriptures. Scriptures of what? they about Himself, and they believe. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name. Now, watch this. They have grown up, these men, and this leads us right into the book of Acts. They have grown up. Their whole lives, their whole existence has been in a system of sacrifices and lambs and temples and priests and altars and burn the fat and, 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 and cut the meat up and sacrifice the, you know, on this day, this, and on the day of atonement, this, and the blood is sprinkled, and the, you, you with me, and the high priest and the Holy of Holies once a year and the pomegranates on the robe and no bones will be broken. I mean, it is an in-depth system. And they have studied it or they have lived in it. Studied it might be a bit much for these men, but they have lived in it. And Jesus opens their minds and then listen to what he says immediately after doing that. He said, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer. Now, do you understand that the Christ suffering completely erases what they thought the Christ was coming to be and to do? A suffering Messiah is normal to us, radically different than what they thought the Messiah would be. They thought Davidic king, conqueror, reestablish Israel because they're going to ask him a question about restoring Jerusalem here in a little while and they're still fixated on a Messiah that's going to reestablish Israel. He says this, he opens their mind because there is a central piece to the gospel and to the launch of the church and almost at the midnight hour they get it and he says thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise be killed and then come back to life why? so that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. They had no concept until Jesus opened their minds that the Messiah was coming to die, that He wouldn't be establishing the kind of kingdom that they had thought of, and that they were, and all of a sudden, the light bulb comes on, wait a minute, we're going to be the proclaimers of this kingdom. Things that you have known all of your life These men who have grown up in the most religious system of the world ever, it it takes the Messiah rising from the dead and supernaturally opening their minds for them to get what you have believed since you were looking at flannel graphs in Sister Somebody's Sunday School class. You got it? Don't take that ease with which you have accepted the teachings of the Scriptures for granted. That is a gift from the Holy Spirit that lives in you. Amen? Don't take that you you don't even, it's never even been the only real challenge in your mind is, oh, Lord, I don't want to fall away. You came to the altar every Sunday night to make sure you didn't miss the rapture. <laughs> All right? But it was just in you, and that thing that was in you is a gift. It is a gift. I just want to make sure you see it. Verse 48, you are witnesses of these things. Verse 49, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. Now we're getting into the beginning of what's going to happen in the book of Acts. See, we're right at the end of the book of Luke. Luke, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. Now, even though he doesn't say it here, do you remember what Acts chapter 1 verse 8? Surely you do. You've been in the Assemblies of God church all your life. But you shall... Receive power after that the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my... He doesn't say it in those terms, but that's exactly what he says. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy... Now, isn't that interesting? Jesus just left, and they are filled with great joy. That seems backwards, doesn't it? He's been resurrected. He's been with them for 40 days, and now he leaves, and they go back into the city with great joy. There is something about the call of God and the anointing and the understanding of the scriptures that rewires how you see what's important and what's best. And they were continually in the temple blessing God. Now, let's go to Acts chapter 1. We'll get through the introductory things really quickly because I want to get into the meat of it. In the first book, in the first book, O Theophilus, what's the first book? Luke. Luke. Alright, that's why, that's why all of a sudden these go together. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now watch this. If we if we if we didn't look at any more, in the first book, everybody look up here at me. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. What would you think the next sentence is going to be? Don't don't look. Don't look. It's not. I'm just saying it. In the first book, O Theophilus, we dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And now in the second book, I'm going to tell you the rest of it. You see what I mean? You got it? See how that makes sense? He, he doesn't say that, and he, he continues on with that thought, but that's, that's what he's doing. Until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. See how well it fits with what just happened? Everybody with me? All right, I just want you to understand that these go together. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Luke is sort of expounding upon, all right, I I told you sort of an outline. Now let's go a little deeper. Let me tell you about some of the things that took place. And while staying with them... He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. Didn't we hear that in the last part? All right. Don't depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, those of you that are in the room tonight, those of you that might be watching through the stream, and you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. I want to to start laying a groundwork of that because I just think it's something that you need if you haven't experienced that. Um, I want you to, I want you to start right now. If you've not and you've never been, I want you to start from this moment and just ask the Lord to teach you about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Just ask Him. You don't need me. We're going to read it. We're going to study it. I just want you to open your mind to what he just said. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. It's a promise. He's got a commission for them that they're going to be engaged in. He says they need this power to be a part of that commission. Verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, here's the question that I told you that they were going to ask him. This is right before he ascends. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, this is what I believe. I believe this is before he opens their mind, remember, in the book of Luke at the end, and they understand what it is that they're really going to be doing. Will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power now here's what's interesting they're asking one kind of question and he answers a different one they ask him Lord are you going to kick out the Romans are you going to reestablish Israel are you going to are you, and, and remember now they, they don't know there's a couple of things that we know that they don't know uh, they don't know how long Jesus is going to be gone they don't know that well maybe he's just going to say hi to dad and he'll be back tomorrow I'm being very lighthearted about a very serious deal, but they don't know. It's pretty clear in Paul's writings in the book of Thessalonians that m- almost all of them believe that Jesus would return in their lifetime. Because if you've read in in uh, in Thessalonians and in w- where the, there's a question that has come up to Paul and they're saying, okay, well, about the resurrection, what about those who have already died? And that's where Paul says, look, we... That those who have gone, those who are already asleep will not precede those of us that remain. But the Lord, you know, with the, you know that section of scripture, right? So they think he's coming back soon. And they're asking, I think, not about while he's here. Lord, are you going to come back quickly and restore Israel? Okay, now you've done this pay for sins part And they also know scriptures, the book of Daniel. They know they know other Old Testament scriptures that give us a picture of what we would consider to be end time events. They know those things, and I think what they're asking is that Lord, are you going to are you going to come back now as you know kind of that guy we thought you would be, and are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you going to give us back the kingdom that we had? And He said, Look, that's not for you to know. I still don't think that they knew that. No, it's not ever going to be established like what you're thinking. He said, "But there is something going to happen to you. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth." Um. And then, then Luke goes on and kind of fills in the blanks of what happens. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. I love this next two verses. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now, that's why when you go back and read about the second coming— now, let's talk a little bit about end time's events because there's a little, little stippet here of end time. There's a little end time nugget here. This Jesus, whom you saw go on a cloud, he's going to come back in the same manner. It doesn't say he'll come back on a cloud, but he says, just like you saw him go, you'll see him come back. They saw him lifted up on a cloud. Now, this is why... This is one of the reasons that I believe this kind of thought, lots of other scriptures, why I believe in an unknown coming, an unknown coming of the Lord and the end times. Could be these times that we live in, could happen any time, that modern day writers have called the rapture. Now, I'm looking around the room. Most of you are very well acquainted, but we've got a few folks in here, and this is some of this is new to them, and you never know who's watching this, so let me take just a minute. There is a, there, is a, there is a coming of the Lord that the Bible gives a very clear picture about when it will happen. Now, not when as in it's on the calendar somewhere, but that there are events that will be set in motion in the end times that will follow a very... Uh, outlined sequential order that the Scripture gives us. And that when those things begin to happen, there's a thing called the abomination of desolation when the Antichrist goes in and he defiles the Holy of Holies in a rebuilt temple that from that moment, three and a half years is going to go by, and then the second coming is going to happen. I absolutely believe that that's what the angel is. Jesus is going to come back to this earth in the same manner that you saw him leave in. Most people that believe in a premillennial rapture and in a, and in a, a literal uh, millennial kingdom that Jesus establishes here don't believe that when the rapture of the church occurs, Jesus comes to the earth. He takes the church out. There's a thing called the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's some things that take place. There's seven years of terrible tribulation here on the earth. And then, and it makes sense because the scripture says that, the, that he came and there was this great army and white robes that came with him. And most people believe, most premillennial, uh, most pre-tribulational rapture people believe that that's the church coming back with Jesus. Where did they get there? In the rapture of the church. And then Jesus... Uh, comes back to the earth in the same manner that he left and sets foot on the Mount of Olives and the Antichrist and the War of Armageddon and Battle of Armageddon and those things. I just want you to see that Jesus is said to be coming back in the same way that he's going to, that he left and that he promised the disciples that he's leaving behind that they are responsible for the propagation of the kingdom of God and he's going to empower them to do it. And that they would do it in the same manner that he did what he did. Now, does anybody know what the Scripture says about how Jesus did what he did while he walked the earth, when he healed, when he raised the dead? Does anybody know what the Scripture says about how he did it? Anybody know? Well, in the what? Yeah, in the the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, So when Jesus says, look, I'm leaving, we're going to see some other things here um, in a little bit, but I'm going to empower you to carry this gospel. I'm not going to ask you to just do it in your own strength. I'm going to send you a power source through which you'll do it. And he's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Same thing that we talk about when we we say people need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 12, a little piece of... um, account. administration here in the body then they returned to jerusalem from the mount called olivet which is near jerusalem a sabbath day journey away does everybody understand the sabbath day journey it's not talking about how far you can walk in a day because the mount of olives is just across the just across the valley from the from the city of jerusalem it's not talking about, okay, you got 12 hours. Well, you could walk a long ways. That sounds a little bit. No, there was a, there was a very prescribed amount of, amount of distance, and it was a very short amount of distance that you could cover on a Sabbath day and not be considered to have violated the Sabbath. The Mount of Olives is just literally—when you're, when you're sitting on the Temple Mount, you can see the top of the Mount of Olives about— I mean, if you could draw a straight line, it's probably a thousand yards across through the air there. It takes a long ways to walk down the valley and up. Now there's a big roadway in the bottom of that, but it's close. The Mount of Olives is just outside the city of Jerusalem, okay? Uh, A Sabbath day journey away, and when they had entered, in other words, they go into Jerusalem, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John, and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women, and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days, now first of all, there's there's your list. Luke's not on that list, all right? Um... In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120, and he said, Brothers, the Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Let me ask you a theological question. Uh, it, there are scriptures that, uh, prophetic scriptures about that Jesus would be betrayed. Did Judas have a choice? Let me ask you the question. Did Judas have a choice? Most of you shaking your head yes. That's a good answer. I believe he had to have had a choice. Um, I think everyone has a choice. No one is locked into a prophetic um course that you don't get to choose who and what you are and judas is no exception now you then you you could go well what if he chose not to well then somebody would have betrayed him god knows uh, the prophecies are uh, prophetic scriptures are written inspired by god so he he does so he betrays him now this man verse 18 uh acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out and it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language Ekeldama that is field of blood for it is written in the book of Psalms may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office I'm kind of hurrying through this because I kind of want to get to chapter two all right um, because I don't, there, there's some stuff in here. I'm, I hope I'm commenting enough to whet your appetite. Says, so, so, one, so one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward to Joseph called for Sabbaths who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Sort of an interesting way to choose a disciple, wouldn't you say? Put the names in a bag people vote or most people don't believe that this is a a vote this is a put put the names in something draw one out and this is the guy that got it uh let me let me tell you something that is not incredibly uncommon um i i know a couple of places that do this that they still choose their deacons this way they 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 screen a certain number of people and they put their names in a bag, and they shake them up, and they say, Lord, you know who needs to do this, and they pull out a name, and that's the person, and they pull out however many spots, and that's the way they get chosen. Sort of takes that whole, I like my guy, my girl, huh? You know, and uh, some would say, well, you're leaving it to chance, pretty much just like they did in the New Testament, Amen. Interesting uh, interesting way to select. But that's what they did. And the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11, and he became the 12th. Um, so what we see here is this period of time where Jesus is ascended. They go into Jerusalem. They recognize that they're about to be empowered by God to do something that Jesus has indicated is very significant. They're going to be witnesses. They're going to take this and I don't know that they fully know, but they know that they they need to have 12. They they feel like uh, that the responsibility of telling this story correct is so significant that they say we need to fill this spot, and this has to be somebody that has been with us all the way since we were all there when John the Baptist baptized Jesus. Do you remember that event, Marion? Oh, Um, I don't know. (laughs) Marion, there's a lot, there's a lot that, uh, there's a lot of, well, there's a lot of writing done about uh, uh, pneumology, people that believe that there's significance in the numbers of things in the Bible. I think that's the right term. Um. I don't know of anything that says that Jesus picked twelve disciples because there was twelve tribes. There's no—I don't know of any scripture that makes that link directly, Uh, but it it shows up. That number shows up a fair number of times. Um, That's why I said I don't know. I don't know of any. Yes, it does. Yeah. It does. The 24 elders, remember that? Does everybody know what Carol's talking about? There's a section of Scripture in the book of Revelation that talks about the 24 elders, and people go, who are those? And there people go, that's one from each of the tribes and the 12 disciples. Um, there's a—well, I don't want to, you know— the, Never mind. I'm not going to muddy the water. You understand that there was a, a one tribe, a half tribe, Manasseh, the half tribe of Manasseh, and there was some things that where there was ultimately kind of only 11 that kind of inherited the promised land and some things about that. So that kind of, I don't know, messes up that whole t- 23 and a half elders surrounded the throne. I don't know how that. Uh, my point is, is Mary, I, I, I don't know. I don't know of any scripture that says that 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 those two link up but it's the same number okay and we do see it a lot it, it fits some other things all right uh what i want to make sure you see is that they felt that so significant this mandate that jesus has put on them that they don't want to be even one person short and they let god choose who this is because they, I, think they, I think they recognize that they're at a divine moment, and something's about to happen, and they, are, they want to be ready to do whatever it is that God has for them to do. Now, I want you to notice a couple of things that hasn't happened yet. You, at least we don't have any record of it. There is no record of them coming to Jerusalem and beginning to preach. There's no record of them coming off the Mount of Olives, coming back into Jerusalem, you know, having a prayer meeting in the evening and preaching all day in the streets. That doesn't—that's not there. I think it's not there because it doesn't happen. The, the, there is no ministry zeal yet. There is no—there is no, uh, you know, standing up on the—on the—on a day and preaching in 3,000 and then 5,000. That's not happening yet, Okay? Why am I telling you that? Because I told you you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Let me show you why. Because these are the same people. These are the same individuals. We just read the list of them. Those 12, and then what, 128 others? No, 108 others. No, I can't. Yeah, that's right. 108 others. I got to get to 120. All right, 108 others. And they are, it would seem, daily in the upper room praying. They've elected Matthias. They're waiting, nobody's preaching, nobody's going out, nobody's, nobody's talking about who Jesus is, they're not debating the Pharisees, they're not preaching in the synagogue, they're not being beaten for it, they're not being locked up, they're not traveling to other cities, they're not do- they are just waiting for something. They have, no, they have none of the information that we have. They don't know what's going to happen. They don't know what it's going to sound like. They don't know anything about a rushing mighty wind. They don't know anything about cloven tongues of fire. They don't have any idea about what's to take place. They are simply waiting in praying in the upper room. Now, it, there's no indication that they're just, you know, listen, don't go to the bathroom because you're going to miss it. No, there's no, I mean, they seem to be, I mean, people are fixing food. They're going to get, I mean, you with me? And here's the other thing, and we don't know how long they waited. There's no verse of Scripture that says, and six and a half days later, or 23 days later, or four hours later, to my knowledge, and there may have been some people work out when it falls and things like that, but because the Feast of Pentecost is taking place, and we know that Jesus is, you could probably do the math, Jesus died and they didn't want him to stay on the cross. Well, we have Sabbath, but we don't have anything more than that. Um, and then, then he's three days, and then he's resurrected, and then 40 days, and then eventually we're going to end up somewhere around the day of Pentecost. So maybe you could figure out about how long they waited. I've never done that. That might be interesting to try to figure out how long they waited. But they wait. Verse 21 says, when the day of Pentecost arrived. Now, just in case you're confused, we didn't name that day. <laughs> okay. We, that day is not named because of what happened. It was already called that. Does everybody understand that? I want to make sure you understand. The Feast of Pentecost, all right, 50 days, all right, um, it already existed. That, that was one of the feasts in the Jewish calendar. So when that day occurs, we, we didn't get the term Pentecostal. We, you know, we didn't come up with that, and then you know, then they went back and added that. And it's now known as the Day of Pentecost. The Day of Pentecost was the Day of Pentecost before the upper room. Everybody get it? I want to make sure you understand that. When the Day of Pentecost arrived, when that day on the calendar happened, they were all together in one place in the upper room. And then this thing happens. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. I just want you to just let, let let your imagination be in the upper room. They've been praying. They've been seeking the Lord. They've they're there at the at the insistence of Jesus. They have been with Him for three and a half years. They watched Him die. They've been with Him forty days after His resurrection. They see Him ascend. You've got some pretty big things in your life experience now, all right? And they're in the upper room, and suddenly this sound begins. Um you ever hear something that you don't recognize? Um, a, a different sound? What is that? What's that noise? What is that? And the way that it captures your attention. You're out and you, you know, some some noise, some rumbling, some something, and it's just different. It's not, it doesn't fit in the normal environment uh, that you're accustomed to. I think that's what's going on. They they hear this sound that is seen throughout the scriptures. The voice of God is often, often likened to this the sound of wind. It's like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And then they, as they looked, and, and I don't think it just appeared. For some reason, I think it sort of, sort of comes into being There is above each person's head a flame, divided tongues as of fire. You know the way a fire has tongues? Does everybody know what I'm talking about? And it's like me looking at Josh, and it's it's happening over his head, in the air, above him. And And then I look around, and it's... It's on everybody except for Dick. He didn't get it. I don't know what's wrong with him. He, 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 yeah. Sorry, Dick, you were just available, all right? all right. And John. No way John got it, but Nikki got a double portion, all right? And I think there has to be a moment where things that we don't know. Did, did, did anyone say to someone else? Hey, this, is, this is it. Here it comes. It's arrived. I mean, come on. These are people. These are real people. And suddenly there is this, and here's where it gets to be, where I, I don't have any imagination of how this next part takes place. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues. Now, I'm going to change just for the sake of this, just for a second, the word tongues to languages. Languages. Because that's really what it means. We use the word tongues, and it it sort of freaks some people out. They begin to speak in languages. And let me add, just for emphasis, something else. They begin to speak in languages they didn't know, as the Holy Spirit told them what to say, gave them the utterance. I just want to sort of demystify the language for a second. They're sitting, real people, got up that day, washed their face. They're just praying. They're having a prayer meeting, not any different than the ones that we would have on Sunday night. There's not some special diet they're eating or some unique quality that they had. There are 120 of them in a room, probably much smaller than this room, much smaller it is probably crowded because they didn't build great big rooms back then. Most people believe that it was a, it's an upper room. It's the second level, probably on a house-type structure, a building that—a room that may have been—and I'm making this up, but 20 by 12 with 120 people in it. It's crowded, okay? It's not—don't you sometimes picture it like a room like this big? And there wouldn't have been a room that a private— individual would have had access to this big anywhere in jerusalem in that day this is a this is a second floor dwelling on probably on someone's home that they've been able to use and suddenly this this flame above their heads and the sound unprecedented both of them nobody's ever seen it and then suddenly They begin to praise God in languages. And that's very clear that that's what the language was saying. We see that in a minute. That they are praising God in languages they don't know, that they've never learned as the Holy Spirit speaks to them. That's why I said the thing too about writing down the scriptures. When the Holy Spirit wants you to do something, he can can put the words in your mind. You don't have to have seen the event. And they speak in other languages. Now, verse five. Remember, remember me saying the over the last few weeks, I've prayed it out loud. Lord, confirm your word with what? Do you remember the rest of that? With signs and wonders. We're gonna we're gonna see that eventually. That verse. All right. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, all Jewish. Do you know what they're there for? Why they are from other places and they're in Jerusalem? They've come for the feast of Pentecost. All right. They're there to observe one of the holy days on the Jewish calendar. And they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. What does that tell you that it was? Give me the qualities of this speech they were doing. At least one of them, it had to be what? Say it, Pat. Had to be loud. So much so that the city begins to take notice of it. And it would seem that this happens pretty quickly. And a very, very large crowd gathers. In... I don't know what Jerusalem would have been like in in the day that this was written, as far as the as far as the topography of it. But if you go there today, the streets are very narrow. I mean, it's it's crowded. It would have probably not been as built up in that day. But we're not talking about places with, you know, with. I mean, this this the, there wasn't a this isn't in a football stadium. I mean, the people are packing streets there. You know, they're. This would have been an inconvenient place, probably. and if depending on what this, and I don't know I'm, I'm I'm guessing if this is a second floor of someone's dwelling, this is probably residential in its in its orientation. And suddenly people you know, this is in Jerusalem, Jerusalem had a wall. this is inside the city, and people are coming from everywhere as the as as this becomes known. And it would seem that this crowd gathered fairly quickly. And they were hearing at the sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered. Because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And what caused them to be bewildered in verse 7, And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all of these who are speaking... Galileans now let me ask you a couple of questions here these are Jewish believers from all of the when it says all the nations under heaven that's, that, that's probably it doesn't mean from the other side of the globe alright but all of them in that, in that part of the world now watch this how did they know they were Galileans Galileans what was it accent. accent perhaps but they're hearing them speak in their own language dress. dress perhaps mannerisms could have also been color of skin could have been their their could have been in, any of those things but they are recognizable as people from Galilee now what's, what's sort of interesting about that is that Galilee is a region of Israel. It's not all of Israel. Not everybody in Israel was considered a Galilean. Jesus was. It's just an interesting piece there that they say these folks are all from the region of the Galilee. They recognize them perhaps by the, by the tone, by the, the, the language, perhaps if they're from other nations. And you understand that that Judaism wasn't confined to Israel. There were people from all kinds of different nations that were Jewish people. But what they do know about them, regardless of any of that, what they know without a doubt is that these people don't speak these languages. Now, when you, when you think about, when you think about why Jesus chose who he chose, there's a great truth right here. You see, if Paul had been in this crowd and he comes out speaking the language of the Parthenians or the Medes, they're they're all here. Somebody might have said, well, yeah, but that's Paul, man. He's an educated guy. He speaks all kinds of languages. He's, that ain't no big deal. He's praising the Lord. And he'll probably switch to Greek in a minute. He's speaking Hebrew. Well, there he went into Greek. Well, now he's going to, because Paul was known to be an educated man who spoke multiple languages. But, But these are... Yeah, these are these ruffians, these wrong side of And I'm I'm going to exaggerate this, but but not too much. These are wrong side of the track. These are these are a bunch of these are a bunch of rednecks, man. <laughs> Forgive me. I mean, I, now I'm really taking it. I mean, these are our Kansans here. All right, my people, and we hear them speaking in our own native language how is that and and what they're saying they're all saying there there has to be a moment when some if you read the and here's the list parthenians and medes and elamites and residents of mesopotamia judea and cappadocia and pontus and asia phrygia and pamphylia egypt and the parts of libya that's africa now you understand egypt is libya Uh, and the parts belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome both Jews and proselytes those are people that didn't used to be Jews but they are now Jews and proselytes Cretans and Arabians now we're now we with me now we've crossed the now we've crossed the med now we're you with me we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God Wow, what a what a moment. Jesus says, you guys are going to you guys and girls, I want to be I want to be inclusive here. You're going to be the conveyors of who I am across the world. Go into Jerusalem and just wait. And they don't have any idea about what's going to happen. Nobody had preached, nobody did any of that, and this event takes place. I'm a I'm sort of a messed up theologian when it comes to Pentecost. Because I don't I struggle reading this when I when I hear people claim to be spirit-filled people, and they got no missions, zeal, they got no desire to know the word of God, they they they're just as they're just as likely to. To cut somebody and tear somebody down is there to build somebody up. And I can't balance what I read happens to these people and what I sometimes see. Well, oh, I can balance it. I just, I can't say what I want to. Right? No, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, it changes who you are. Are you hear me? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, when you're baptizing the Holy Spirit, it, it, it transforms you it messes with you it just does I tell you what I, and I, I'm, 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 she may be watching me on the stream I, I, there are lots of times you hear me joke about this but this is no kidding there are lots of times when I wish the Holy Spirit to go talk to my wife but I, but I can never get him to talk about anybody else he always just wants to talk about me he just wants to straighten me out He transforms you. You can't. And these these believers are so touched. They are so changed. It's more than just the the unknown language. It's the transformation in what takes. Now, some people hear that and some think, hey, these guys are drunk. Well, the devil's always trying to confuse what the Lord's doing. Now watch this. This, this guy, and I need to wrap this up because, man, I'm, I could do this. This, these, this is my stuff right here. Let me tell you this. The same guy that said, I do not know him. Three times. Peter, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Lord, I'll die for you. Well, okay, we'll see. Just hold on a minute. And he runs. He hides, terrified. Cowardice gripping his heart. And now, verse 14 says, But Peter, great big crowd of people. This fisherman now, this fisherman, this uneducated ruffian who's always got his foot in his mouth, who's always running out ahead of everybody. But Peter stands up with the eleven. You need to have people with you. Lifted up his voice and addressed them. We won't get through all of this, but my goodness, Peter just slays them, man. He just, he just, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says exactly what, I mean exactly, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words, for these people are not, you already hear the authority you already hear the apostolic nature of who Peter has become in a moment, and it was not there before he didn't have any of this. he wasn't eloquent in his words, he fumbled and he stumbled and he and suddenly he's he's got to quote the prophet Joel to them this little tiny unknown i mean known but not this isn't isaiah this isn't this is Joel Peter stands up and says men of the Judea and all in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. You hear it? For these people are not drunk as you suppose since it's only the third hour of the day. In other words, if they were going to get drunk, it takes longer to do it than this. That's what he's saying. They haven't had time to get drunk. That's the third hour of the day part. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Do you understand that Peter never went to the synagogue? I mean, ne- never went to the school of any of the teachers of the law. He's that. I mean, that he can quote the prophet Joel is just inspired. But this is that which was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares. And it doesn't say that Peter had to grab a scroll or, or ask for a reference. Or he just quotes it. In the last days it shall be God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams and even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. We're going to come back through some of this next week. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. You hear Peter that they were asking about when he was going to restore the kingdom? And now he's got it. He's not talking about restoring Israel to its kingdom. He has now instantly understood that Jesus didn't come to instill a kingdom back to Israel. He has come to die and to redeem Israel from their sins and mankind. He well, he doesn't know mankind yet. He's going to get that in Acts chapter 10. But right now. He suddenly understands what Jesus has come to do. Suddenly theology has gotten straight in his mind. Suddenly the Holy Spirit has enlightened him as to who Jesus really was and what the kingdom really is and he's preaching it. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Peter knows him to be the Messiah and he suddenly understands that this is a different thing. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Now God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him. Now he's going to go quote David, this fisherman who, let me tell you, Jesus didn't say, okay, repeat after me. I want you to be sure you know the scripture because you know no, this is coming out of him. He is suddenly inspired by the Holy Spirit. David, for I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh, also will come back through some of this, will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of light. You, I bet Peter's never quoted this much scripture in his whole life. You with me? And it's just coming out of him. He's preaching under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Now Peter, this fisherman, is interpreting the law. You hear it? Let me tell you with authority that David is with us yet today being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he's adding to their understanding of David. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. No one in the time of Jesus got that. And not even Peter before the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden he is transferred from will you restore the kingdom to Israel to let me tell you what Jesus really came to do. And it happened just like that with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This Jesus God raised up and of that we are all, we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. He hadn't been to heaven. How does he know that? Because the Holy Spirit's telling it to him being therefore exalted the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, now he's going to pull another section out from David. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. Anytime you see, that wasn't Jesus' last name, by the way, Christ. That's a title. That's an office. That's Messiah. He has made him Lord and Christ. This Jesus, and now Peter is going to put it to them, whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to their heart. And I'm going I'm I'm to mess with some of our non-Pentecostal brethren. Pentecostal anointing results in Pentecostal preaching, which results in Pentecostal response. They're cut in their hearts. Conviction grips their heart. This isn't dead, dull doctrine. This is inspired preaching that comes from the Holy Spirit that speaks exactly to what people need in the moment. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And Peter said to them, repent. Anyway, they are cut to their heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, every one whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. We're going to come back and do some of that. I just had to get to that point because I was so excited about it. All right, now listen. Why do you need to be baptized for the Holy, in the Holy Spirit? Right there. What's it supposed to eventualize in our lives? Right there. All right. It is power given from God so that we might be adequate witnesses to who Christ is in the world that we live in. Now, the same anointing that rested upon them is available for you and I today. Uh, but it's not an amalgamation of world and spirit. It is an abandonment to the Spirit of God. Father, use me, change me, shape me, transform me. I just wanted you to see, and that's why I kind of rushed through that, this thing that happens in the lives of these believers. They, they see Jesus. They're asking Him about the kingdom. Lord, will you restore the kingdom? Are you going to make Israel back to— And then He says, listen, that— In essence, He said, look, you need to quit worrying about that and go wait in Jerusalem. And the minute that the Holy Spirit comes upon them— Peter preaches a message about who Jesus really was, and suddenly you see this thing that has happened in Peter where he now understands what Christ came to do and the kind of kingdom that Jesus has come to establish. He doesn't have it all yet. Here's the deal, and I think there's a powerful truth as it relates to the Holy Spirit. Peter doesn't suddenly—he's not suddenly endued with all knowledge. He's still Peter. You say, how do you know that? Because— Remember in Acts chapter 10 from the sermon I preached when the sheet comes down on the roof of Cornelius' house and the Lord says, kill and eat. Peter says, no, I don't eat that kind of stuff. And the Lord says, look, what I've called clean, don't you call unclean? He still doesn't get it when the men knock on the door and when they're baptized in the Holy Spirit while he's preaching to Cornelius, he is completely amazed and everyone with him because they can't believe that the Holy Spirit's also been poured out on Gentiles. So he's still he's still got a bunch to learn, but he suddenly understands what it is that Jesus has come to do. Now, I can't tell you what uh, I can't tell you what is in store for me ten years from now, but I can tell you who's I can tell you that the Lord's going to be directing it. I can tell you that 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 your life and my life, no matter what happens with Corona, no matter what happens in this election, no matter what happens with whatever's going on in your individual life he's still the same God he's still the same savior he's still the same deliverer he's still the same baptizer and we are here to be witnesses of that kingdom and he will empower us to do so if we'll ask him and the transformation that took place in Peter it can happen in you and it can happen in me where the Lord teaches us things that where he opens our minds to the scriptures you ever had that happen Reading through something you've read a thousand times and all of a sudden you read it and you go, now that was not there before. I still have that happen all the time. I've never seen that before. Every time we go through the scriptures, I go, now I, that, that, that's, that's a, that wasn't, let me get in, That wasn't there. And the scriptures just become alive. This isn't a dead faith that you're a part of. This isn't a dead experience. this is a living experiential yes, and, and here's the thing. let me stop with this. Here's the part that I don't get about people that want to that want to claim that the work of the Holy Spirit ended with the death of the last apostle, that the gifts of the spirit, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit ended you you every now and then I run across these people, man, I know a bunch of them. And uh, that's one of, the, one of the things that I've been so blessed with where I ended up studying um, for my doctorate. And that is that th- there is a constant inference. There's a constant reinforcement of the living nature of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. I know a lot of academics that strip all of the miraculous out and they end up with this dull, dead knowledge of words on paper but it, it doesn't transform them. It doesn't transform their lives. It doesn't change their families or the way they spend their money. or It doesn't do anything. It's dead. It's just dead liturgy. And I don't know why anybody would want that. I don't know why anybody wants other people to be exposed to that. I, I want God to be alive, amen? I want him to be changing and, and moving and shaping. And that's what is taking place in these believers' lives. They have grown up in a system that has been dull, dead religion. And suddenly the Holy Spirit takes all of the scriptures that they've heard all their lives. And they suddenly become alive in them. And that's, that's, what, that's what it's supposed to do. Holy Spirit brings the scriptures to life. Uh, if you're here and you've never experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we're going to talk about it some more. And then uh, in the very near future, we're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to designate a Sunday and we're just going to have get filled with the Holy Ghost Day. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have a better, more, more wild term. But you don't have to wait on that day. Go home tonight. If You've not say, Lord, Pastor Roy's reading about that. I read it. I see what it did in Peter. I want it to do that in me. Fill me with your spirit. You don't need me and you don't need the church and you don't need music or anything at a particular pace. Just ask the Lord. If you're online and you've never experienced that, ask the Lord to fill you with the Holy Spirit. He will. And then just wait. Let him say whatever he wants through you. And then just surrender yourself to him and to what he wants to do. And then expect that he's going to transform your life. He's going to push you in ways that you've never been pushed. Wonderful, life-altering, good things that he's going to do in you. And he will. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this introduction to, oh Lord, to the book of Acts and your heart for mankind and your heart that people would be saved and the empowerment that comes to those who you've called to take this word and well, spread it all around the world. We want to be those people. Thank you for each one. Lord, I'm so excited about the potential of what we'll learn through this and the lifting and the encouragement and the strengthening and, the, and just the hope that comes from seeing you work in our lives. Now, Lord, I just pray that as we go through this, we would be responsive to you. Do whatever you want in us. Have your way, Father. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.